Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to experience a grace that heals. Allow this grace to take your life and your relationships to another level as it frees you from the weight of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode as Joel Groh and Lynn Wilder share encouraging stories and candid dialogue that can help you experience a grace that heals. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. We are so glad you're here. We're committed to episodes and programming and messages that are designed to help your life and your relationships flourish. I'm Joel Grote. And I'm Lynn Wilder, and I hope you're here today to experience a grace that heals. We have a guest we with we us do. It's today. It's so much fun. It's not I, just us. It's I always fun. We like got somebody else when it's, I'm Not that I don't like you, Joel. I but, mean, you know, I enjoy just talking to you. But we have Lisa Brockman here today. Lisa Brockman is a former member of a performance-based religion, one that you can probably figure out um, when we get to talking. And she's written a book. Yeah, that so should cool. come out this next year. So, Lisa, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and and your book? Okay. Um, well, I grew up in Salt Lake City. I'm a fifth generation Mormon, and I presently work with an organization called Crew, which is a missions organization. And yep. my husband and I have five children. Grew, you're married. You have five kids. How old are these children? They are 22, 21, 17, 16, and 14. Oh, that's fantastic. So they're old enough wow. to be a help then. That's great. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no more diapers. Yes. Right. Yeah. Got two out in college. Fantastic. So, yeah. So, um, fifth generation, both sides of your family? Yes. Mom and dad? Yes. Wow. So that's a huge heritage, huge history. Yes. Raised in Utah? Raised in Utah. Mm. Yes in Salt Lake City. So are you like the descendant of somebody famous we should know or? John Taylor's <laughs> sister is oh, my okay. like great, great, great grandmother. Okay. Or so. Great, 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 great. Who knows how much, I can't keep it straight. Well, yeah. the Taylors yeah. are very well known, very yes, well known names. Very so. Well known. <laughs> so, okay. So what we want to hear about is how grace has invaded your life and oh. A, some of your story, what? So, it's your story, so you get to pick the highlights. Okay. <laughs> That's one of the fun things about this. Well, I remember by the time I was five years old, all I wanted, like my dream of dreams, was to be married in the Mormon temple. That was so instilled in me from the time I can even, my earliest memory. And it was, yeah. it was a dream of dreams. And so, there was always this orientation toward relationships that was, I think, unique to a Mormon upbringing, especially relationships with the opposite sex, mm -hmm. just because you're, I was just constantly thinking about this temple marriage and preparing myself for that mm -hmm. temple marriage so that I could exalt one day um, in the celestial kingdom. And so I remember at eight years old when I was baptized by my dad, just beaming over that little audience in my family um, because that was my first launch into the Mormon Yeah, absolutely. Church. And now I was responsible and accountable, and I just thought, I have what it takes to pull this off. 
And it was a life I really, really wanted to be holy. I really wanted to be righteous and I really wanted to be worthy. And that characterized, I think, all of those formative years, just striving, striving, striving. And in those formative years, it wasn't that hard to be worthy. Um, it gets heavier as you get older. So I would, the word picture I would give is that it was like collecting little stones to lay in that foundation, that bedrock of my eternal life, Mm. where a little good work here, going to church on Sundays, being somewhat obedient to my parents. I just didn't have, because I believed I had a divine nature, I didn't believe that sin was an issue. Like I didn't have a sin problem. Yeah. Right. And so well, I thought you're, you're I was... a child. You're a child of God mm-hmm. right. from the beginning. So yes. you just have to be the best kid of your heavenly father that you can be. Yes. <laughs> and so as a child, young child, just collecting little stones of works and creating that bedrock of my salvation, eternal life. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to be a preteen and a teenager and moved into the young women's program and doing the right things all the time was more challenging. You know, my friends are wanting to explore with Ouija boards and I liked kissing Chris Pace. And there were all these just (laughs) real life human (laughs) behaviors that created challenges to always feeling righteous and always feeling worthy. And so I was living in this dance continually of wanting Heavenly Father's presence and the Holy Ghost's presence with me and being worthy of that and then experiencing those emotional highs at times and then feeling like the rest of the time I'm just striving and striving and not quite there. Mm. So it also is tricky because we become like that which we worship. And so this God of conditions that I couldn't have articulated back then that I was worshiping a God of conditions because I didn't know the difference. I thought everybody did. And that's the Mm -hmm. other thing that was unique to being a Mormon in Utah is that there's not like a comparative religions course that you take. (laughs) Exactly. There's one true church. No, no okay. Yeah. I just realized <laughs> <No>. that. There's <laughs> no. one true church, and um, I just wasn't educated. And I had right. a friend who was Jewish, and I had a friend who went to a Lutheran church, but that was all I knew of Christianity, right. and I just thought we were Christians. So, anyway, worshiping a God who had this performance based love and presence and attention toward me. It also filtered down into our family culture very vividly. And so... Yeah, for folks who are Christian, biblical Christians listening to this, um, can you be more specific about how the performance-based stuff works in... in, It worked in your life when you were growing up? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I won't say my family was characteristic of every family, because there are some Mormon, I'm making generalizations, but Mm -hmm. the way it would filter down into our household is that it was hard for the conditions not to be applied to performance in every area of our lives. Mm. And so whether it was academics, whether it was a tennis match, whether it was winning a tournament or losing a tournament. Somebody always measuring and expecting you to do better than others. Yes, and the tendency for there to be a a withdrawal relationally if Mm. you don't If the performance wasn't up to par. Yes. So did it ever happen, and see, I did not grow up Mm. 
in a performance-based religion per se, but I grew up in a very kind of rules performance-oriented traditional Christian home. And my parents were foreign missionaries. And so they were like kind of this like cut above. And I don't yeah. think they thought of themselves that way. But my paradigm, and I didn't realize till I was an adult, was love equals approval and approval equals love. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. whenever the approval was gone, mm -hmm. so was the love. Yes. yes. So is that, I mean, is that at all? Yes. Yes. And that's it a hard is. place to live. Yes. Lots of tension. And yeah, that's okay. not unconditional love. No. 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 Although we might think it is. We might voice that it is. Um, that's love conditional on your good behavior. Right. Right. And it so was are you saying that for... trickled into your family then once you got... Not <laughs> me with my children necessarily. Okay. No, Grace revolutionized my life. <laughs> <laughs> before, <laughs> yes, before I met does. my husband, Grace totally rocked my world. Okay. <laughs> Jesus rocked my world in the most unexpected way. So by the time I was in high school, um, living under all of that pressure, the performance-based love, acceptance, and, and just never feeling like I'm going to measure up, I knew I would get my temple marriage someday. But in Utah, in Salt Lake City, there were a lot of Mormon kids who, it's like the pressure cooker would blow. The, li the little weight mm. would come off, and it <laughs> was mm. the blowing of um, all the pressure inside. And so I had friends who would start drinking and partying, and it just took everything out of me not to dive into that culture because mm. there was something that was so attractive to me that maybe there, there will be unconditional love and acceptance and I won't have to carry the weight of this striving. There right. will be a release. Right. And so I resisted and resisted and I was a very competitive tennis player and finding my identity in that role a great deal in my life. And then my senior year of high school, my pressure cooker weight popped off and I think I was just so weary and I so yeah. wanted to be loved for who I was. Mm. And so I started partying. And I just swung from legalism to licentiousness because on that spectrum, wow. when you live in that performance-based world, there isn't grace on that spectrum. And no. so the only you have to go to a totally different paradigm. So the only place I knew to go to find freedom was licentiousness and where I can do whatever I want. And so I remember shutting down my conscience, decision by decision, one party mm. after another. And I remember taking the Lord's name in vain. And that was something that was an absolute no, 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 yes. no, no. Yep. Um, and so I just grew, and I did find freedom from the law. But what I didn't know is that my soul was entering into a different kind of bondage wow. that was just as destructive yeah. to my soul. So I don't think that's an unusual place for folks to go, right? Mm -hmm. When they leave the legalism is yes. to go to come anything goes. Yes, yeah. anything goes. And anything went. <laughs> <laughs> and I was supposed to play tennis for BYU. And then right before my freshman year at BYU, I was partying and I didn't want to really go into that culture. I knew how strict it was there. Mm, yes. yeah. And so 
the University of Utah coach recruited me at a tennis tournament, and I was like, I would get more playing time. They weren't as highly ranked, and I really don't want to be at BYU. So I switched to the University of Utah a month before, or two mm. months before school started. And that's where I see God just redirecting my life. Yeah. And so I'm going to stop you there for a second. Yeah. So how, what are your parents doing in all this? Because as... You know, as fourth generation Mormons, them very dedicated. Yes. Here's their sweet yeah. daughter yeah. who yes. has really towed the line, showing all this wonderful promise. Mm -hmm. And now her senior year just goes off the rails. Yes. And then now is not going to go to BYU. What's happening then? What's happening within your family relationship dynamic at this point? That's a good question. What a, what a, what's a happening really to that question. approval, love? Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, I want to. Mm. I, I need to tread carefully here. Um, yeah. And you're well, and, I was, and there isn't any question you're allowed to say. You know what? Right. No, it's a. It, I yeah. can address this. Okay. But I was. Uh, I would say I felt like Daddy's little girl mm -hmm. all throughout my life. Um, mm. He just is an affectionate man. He was a he's a physician, so he was busy. I didn't see him much, but when he was there, I wanted to be with him. Yes. And um, my mom really laid down her life for us in the way of opportunity, just giving us every opportunity possible and laying down our life so that we could excel in whatever sports we chose, whatever arts we chose. Mm -hmm. And so my mom kept, when I first got busted. My first bust was, was at homecoming, my senior year. And my dad came and he fought for me and I was a student body officer. I got suspended for the quarter. I, wow. I mean, I got my hand slapped, but I was so arrogant because I had a divine nature. There wasn't any posture of humility. And so I just kind of was like, whatever, do whatever you want. Um, you can't control me. And so my dad showed up, and like I said, he was very supportive in that moment. But as I continued to rebel, I think it just broke his heart in such a way that he couldn't cope with the shame of that because parents are responsible for their children's behaviors yes. and choices. And I think the weight of that brought so much shame to him that he couldn't really right. do relationship with me very well. Yeah. Because in performance-based religious systems, as a parent, the performance of your child is a direct reflection on your own performance. Exactly, yes. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, but also the Book of Mormon specifically says that if you live the commandments, you'll be blessed both temporally and spiritually, yes. right? right. Yes. So this means for you, you're going to lose all of that, right? Yes. And that means for your parents, wow, it yes. might even affect them who knows, yes. right? Because it all hinges on behavior. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, so he withdraws. Yes. I, out of probably self-preservation. Sure. Um, mm. Yes. Because in Salt Lake especially, everybody's so interconnected. Yeah. Everybody's Mormon. And so you show up at church, all the parents are talking about what the kids, who got busted at what party this weekend. Like mm -hmm. there's no, there's <laughs> there no, no secrets. secret. 
Yeah. yeah. And so, and my mom, I think she just fought in every way she could figure out how to fight. So I'd be totally drunk, laying on my bed, and occasionally she'd come in just crying. Mm. How long are you gonna do this? Like desperately, in any way she knows how to touch me somehow. Mm. And I think I was just kind of untouchable at this point in my soul. Mm. So now the question is, so what changed? You said So I University got to the of University Utah. of Utah and one of the girls on my tennis team said, I gotta, ma I gotta line you up with this guy named Gary. You guys are two peas in a pod, you're just gonna click. And so November of my freshman year, I get lined up with Gary and oh my word, he looked like a god. <laughs> and, and guys had always Have been you already done my your god. Or something? Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> guys were my god from the time I was five years old. Uh. I always had a boyfriend. I always had a significant other. There was so much of my identity wrapped up How in that. Yeah. And so I saw Gary and it was like one glance and then we partied together and I didn't know his background. He didn't know mine. Well, he might have. So we had, we kept hanging out together and we were uh, like, just nothing could keep us apart. We were so drawn to each other. It was instant. So about a month into our relationship, we're, it's December, we're going, driving around campus to pick up report cards back in the day before the internet yep. and I'm put, I put my hand on the door, the snow's falling and I go to get out of the car and he said, how do you know Mormonism's true? And nobody had ever asked me that my whole life. He's not Mormon, wow. I'm he's, assuming. No, he's not Mormon. He said, I'm a born again Christian. And I was like, a what? <laughs> what? Born a what? Is that a disease? I've never heard of one of those in my entire life. I was like, okay, well, you're partying, so that's good. We that. have something in common. <laughs> like, I just, I'm a Christian too. And he, he's like, well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> he's like, I don't believe you are. And that was the end of that for a month. And then we just wow. partied and bonded that way. And then <laughs> my, I'm opening the door. How do you know Mormonism's true? And I just whipped around and I said, because I've had a burning in the bosom. And he said, so you're basing your entire eternal destiny on an emotional experience? And I was like, well, yes. I mean, everything in me just knew that's how you do it. Right. And that is the paradigm. And then he started asking me questions like, how do you know Joseph Smith is a true prophet of God? And I was like, well, because he is. I, I know he is. Well, how do you know, Lisa? Mm. And it was Isides and Osides and history. And I just sat there for 20 minutes in sheer terror like tears just streaming down my face. I don't know how to defend this. Mm. And I know that it's true, but oh my gosh, I felt like whatever foundation I had created turned to quicksand and I was just in a free fall. And I got out of the car with snow coming down and I just thought, this is winter. Like, I don't know. Surely though, if I, I can defend this. I know mm. I can. And so, but he planted a seed that day. Such a powerful seed yeah. that you can tell details like that. My hand was on the yes. door. Yes. It was snowing. Yes. Right. Yeah. And God's experiences are just that powerful. They are. Absolutely. 
So, did you start researching? <laughs> so, not right away. I thought, like so many Mormons, when they swing to the opposite pendulum, right. I could just be agnostic. If this thing proves not to be true, I could just be agnostic. And then I was like, hmm. Over a month, Gary left for Christmas to Idaho where he lived. So I had a month almost before he returned. And I okay. was like, I can't think about this. I cannot go here. This is too scary. And so we, he came home and he's like, Lise, let's just start doing Bible study together. You believe in the Bible. I was like, as far as it's trans translated correctly, <laughs> but I can translate it correctly because I'm a Mormon. And so, and I really thought. <laughs> that's a classic line. Uh, yes. That's great. So I just thought, okay, I don't have to fear that. And I really want to prove him wrong. I really want to defend my faith. And I know right. that it will stand against all odds. I really had been told that. I believe that. Mm -hmm. And so Gary set out to convert me, and I set out to convert Gary. And over the first five months of that journey, my eyes were completely closed. I could not see up from down. But we started, and I remember in our first study, Gary talking about God and the nature of God. We were doing a study about marriage and relationships okay. because we really were into each other. <laughs> and so what it did, though, is it brought in the nature of God. Who is God? Who are we? And what is man's nature? And where are we going? And what part does relationship play in this? And so he brought in this idea of this Trinitarian God. And I'm like, you're kookaloo. You're crazy. <laughs> I can't wrap my mind around that. Yeah. And then the next time he talked about our nature being sinful, he said, Lise, you have a sinful nature. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Like, and just, these claws prove it. Oh, claws came out. <laughs> uh, so it was like one doctrine after the next where it was, it was 180 degrees from what I believed to be true my whole life. And yeah. I was like, this is in the Bible? Where? Where is that? <laughs> I was like, I can't believe that's in the Bible. So that's where we began. And for five months, my eyes were, I was blinded to see anything that he the Bible was saying could be true. And Lisa, mm -hmm. guess what? This just turned into a two-part story. It did. Because <laughs> I just got the like oh, five-minute okay. warning two, three minutes ago. All right. So, and I can already tell from how you're going that there is a lot of great stuff still in this story. I know. I so can't believe it, can so we, much Can we do a part two? By. Absolutely. Are you open to that? Okay. That. In that case, we're going to say, hey, y'all, join us next time because Lisa's going to be with us for a part two. You get to hear the rest of the story. Um... So is Gary your husband now? No, he's not. <laughs> that's a good okay, story so too. Now you have going. reason to come back. Oh, now you have reason so to come back. Um, so we're going to invite you back. And so, and to anybody who might be new to the podcast, um, you can catch this and all of our episodes on unveilinggracepodcast.com. And we invite you to look at those. You can write to either Lynn or myself right yep. from the podcast. We want to hear your questions. If stuff that Lisa is shared or you have questions about her book or when it's coming up, feel free to contact us and we will get that information to her. So we just, man, the whole point of this is to share stories and scripture that bring a grace that heals uh, to your lives. And we want to hear from you. 
I think you said it all. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't leave anything for you. Sorry. Okay, next time I'll let you do the close. How's no, that look? That's, <laughs> that's all good, Joel. Um, so anyway, till next time. Until next time, we pray Grace that you are you. blessed. Yeah. Absolutely. So long. Thanks for being with us. And here's an excerpt from next week's episode. So that's that's where you're at, right? You're you're yeah. being drawn into relationship with Christ. By this God who's a boundless mystery. Yes. That has brought himself to Emmanuel, God with me. Mm. And I had never encountered that kind of a God in my life. Yeah. Wow. And so it's this relational God who's always been in relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit at the center of the universe, inviting me into their community of love. I knew nothing about that. Heavenly Father was on some planet with Heavenly Mother populating it. Yeah. That was the level of intimacy I had with my God. So it changed everything for me. So I'm, ex I'm excited to hear in what ways or how this God manifested himself that was personal for you. Okay. Over the next 16 months, I called Gary right away, right after I trusted Christ and his sister and their whole family was just having a party. And Gary was in California still. So, of course, I didn't run and tell my parents, guess what? Yeah. And I then didn't know how to tell my parents. And I had these areas of my life where addictions had formed. And guys yeah. were one of them. And alcohol was another. And tennis was another, my identity. Mm -hmm. And so I, so many athletic injuries brought my tennis career to an end by the end of my sophomore year. So I entered my sophomore wow. year and um, still dating Gary. But suddenly, the partying wasn't having the same effect that it had. No longer was it just empty fun and I felt no guilt afterwards. Suddenly, there was a deep conviction that this isn't right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. We hope you'll join us next time for another conversation devoted to taking your life and relationships to another level of healing. You may connect with us and leave your questions, comments, plus find the show notes at unveilinggracepodcast.com. That's unveilinggracepodcast.com, where you can experience a grace that heals. <laughs>